Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, the past 12 months have been topsy-turvy in many ways, given the global COVID-19 pandemic and related disruption to virtually every sector of society, from travel and hospitality to entertainment, to healthcare, to places of worship, to workplaces all across the world. Now, despite this myriad negative, or despite the myriad negative consequences of the pandemic, one thing that it also forced all of us to pay closer attention to is our finances, our financial literacy, and financial strategies to help us to be better prepared and equipped money-wise should another shockwave or something of this sort occur again moving forward. There's a saying that goes, money talks, and <laughs> you know the rest that walks. Furthermore, there's also a scripture found in Ecclesiastes 10 and 19 that states, a feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money, 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 money. But money answereth all things. With that being said, the question we want to address in today's episode of The Communication Guru is, what is your money communicating to you? What's your bread saying? What's your money look like? What is your money saying or communicating to you? Now, to help us dive into and dissect this question and topic, I'm delighted to be joined by a money expert, a top-shelf accountant with 25-plus years of accounting experience in corporate, nonprofit, and faith-based sectors, an entrepreneur and business owner, a big baller, shot caller, the often imitated but never, I said never duplicated, my homie lover friend, shut your mouth, and wife <laughs> of 22 years, the one and only Cheryl Janice McMurtry, founder and president of McMurtry Financial Services. What's up, ma'am? Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. We're talking money. Money, money, money. That is your yes. thing, your wheelhouse. And we are really delighted to have you join us today. This pandemic has really put a lot of things in disarray and the money piece not being the least of it. As a matter of fact, a lot of people had disruptions to their jobs. A lot of unemployment claims were coming through. Matter of fact, in the state of Wisconsin here, 
we've had a record number of unemployment claims that came through. The office of the Department of Workforce Development was hit with a deluge of claims. In fact, just for perspective, typically in a month, there are anywhere from about, I don't know, three or 4,000 claims it has been you know, reported. And at the height of the pandemic, going back to April, May, June of 2020, there were as many as 100,000 claims that would come in in a month. I mean, so it was just a, a real, real tough situation, both for that particular department as well as the individuals that had to adjust their money pieces. Now, with that weathering of the storm, so to speak, it'll be important for us moving forward to put ourselves in the best possible position to not have as bleak of outcomes. And that's really what we want to kind of go into today. And we have you here and your experience that we talked about before. And we're looking forward to you sharing some insights, both with what folks can do right now, as well as things that can be done in a preparatory fashion for the future. So as we dive into that, want you to kind of share with our listeners a bit more about yourself, you know, where you grew up, a bit about your background, where you went to school, all that good stuff, and really what piqued your interest in money matters even to begin with? Well, as you shared, Cheryl McMurtry uh, was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Go Bears. Um, <laughs> I live in Packer Nation, you guys. We live in Packer Nation. And I'm a Bear fan. So it's been rough for 28 years here in Wisconsin. But I went to college, Fisk University, HBCU, and ended up in Milwaukee. I was recruited by First Star Bank, which is now U.S. Bank, in the Comptroller's Division, which is the division where all of the accounting happens. And I, as he shared and worked both in the for-profit sector for a number of years, as well as the nonprofit sector and faith-based communities. So have a varied background of experience that has enabled me to really be able to service small businesses and nonprofit organizations very well understanding for-profit business as well as nonprofit organizations. And so my love for money is I've always liked the finer things in life. If there's any soap opera fans out there, I, as from a little girl, loved soap operas. And Miss Chancellor from The Young and the Restless was kind of my hero. She was a business woman mogul in the town of Genoa City. And she was wealthy. Which was actually set in Wisconsin, as a matter of fact, Genoa City. It was. It was. Where I ended up. You ended so, up. You see know, there? See I'm there? Destiny. Chancellor vibes. Destiny calleth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it really was more my love and affinity for math. And I have to give a shout out to my seventh and eighth grade math teacher, Mrs. V, who inspired all of us. In fact, she still keeps in touch. I'm friends with her on social media with her students. She was the most phenomenal math teacher ever. There wasn't a concept that if you struggled with it or wasn't easy to grasp that she did not ensure we did not understand. And so she's one of the best teachers of all time. Mm -hmm. And shout out Miss V. Shout out Miss V. Shout out Miss V. And I honestly imagined myself being a math teacher more mm. than an accountant. But my dad said, well, teachers don't make much money. And he was on a mission to have all of his children be 
educated and financially independent. And so I said, what other way could I incorporate math and use that skill set in what I do? And so accounting was kind of that fallback, tapping into that business acrimony and, and desire that I had, channeling my Miss Chancellor vibes. And so I picked accounting and it's been a really good career. It's done me well for 28 years now. And so I'm in the most exciting part of my career. And that is to be able to really walk alongside small business owners and nonprofit leaders, helping them with the financial viability of their organization by providing them with accounting services, with tax preparation services, business consulting, and the cream of the crop for me, which is financial education and doing training and workshops and really helping business owners become more empowered and more educated to really manage their organizations well. Nice. That's about who I am and how I got into this thing. (laughs) No, that's an excellent runway of what we want to get into today as far as discussion. So very impressive background and sounds like you know what you're doing as well and having known you for 20 plus years, I can vouch for the fact that you do. And so again, we're delighted to have you here and to share with the listeners how they can, you know, step their financial game up. A couple of quick questions though, based on something that you said with the different sectors that you work with. I know that there's similarities because you're dealing with business, whether it's business owner, private sector, nonprofit, faith-based, but are there distinct differences in those sectors as it relates to money, cash flow, those sorts of things that are recognizable and quantifiable that you can kind of just share quickly? Almost definitely. The nonprofit sector really depends very heavily on donor base, a donor base to generate revenue. And so donations and grants are their primary sources for revenue into their organizations. And of course, that's based on being able to articulate your mission and vision in a way that touches the hearts of people to want to give to support that vision and mission. And so that is a little bit more challenging, especially in times where you're dealing with a crisis or you're dealing with a market crash or things like that that impact the economy so heavily. One of the most direct impacts is to that nonprofit sector who really depend on people having the willingness to give versus in the for-profit sector, you've got a product, you've got a service. To be an aggressive salesperson to get that deal done is not as much of a turnoff as asking someone to just give and to trust that they're going to accomplish something with your money. And so it's a little bit different getting money through the door. And sometimes nonprofit organizations are also all asking some of the same base, especially when it comes to grant. Philanthropic organizations are all being axed. And so who stands out? And so it's a challenge that way. Of course, for-profits are responsible for paying tax. And so a huge piece (laughs) 
on the for-profit mm-hmm. side is how can I make as much money as I can and pay as little tax as possible? <laughs> and so that's a huge feat. <laughs> for-profit organizations and nonprofits, of course, are looking to get as much money through the doors to be able to fulfill its mission as much as possible using a tax-free base type model. So there are some differences, but overall, when it comes to how you manage your money, how you account for your money, how you prepare for times of crisis are very similar. Gotcha. Gotcha. Speaking of which, having a situation, pandemic, one that has really affected the economy and both for-profit and non-profit entities alike, what, in your estimation, are the basic building blocks to financial literacy and financial stability from an individual basis, business basis, nonprofit basis? Right. Well, financial literacy and financial stability are two completely different things, first of all. So financial literacy, the building blocks for that is really gaining as much information as possible from credible resources. Mm. And so educating yourself, not leaving it up to someone else, not even leaving it up to your accountant because your accountant is doing just that. They're accounting for your money, but they're not responsible for managing it. As a business owner, that responsibility sits in your lap. Wow. So if I hire an accountant, the ultimate responsibility is not XYZ accountant or McMurtry Financial Services or Tim McMurtry accountant company or whatever. It's ultimately me, the business owner, even if I've hired an accountant for those services. Exactly. Interesting. <laughs> the accountant is a resource that's mm-hmm. a partnership. They're working with you, but the decisions you're making as a business owner you're making those decisions. They can provide some counsel. They can provide you the data and information that will assist you in making the decision, but you're the decision maker and you're the one with the ultimate responsibility. The IRS is going to come to you. They're Mm -hmm. not going to come to your accountant. (laughs) Facts. Your state, the Department of Revenue or your Secretary of State, whichever is how your state is set up, they're going to come to you, not your accountant. So your accountant is just your resource and your support. They're providing you a service, but the the ultimate responsibility and accountability lies with you. And so if you don't understand how to read a profit and loss statement, a balance sheet, then you're not able to make the best and most sound decisions being equipped with the financial data that helps you to make those decisions well. So that's the financial literacy part. Get in with your chambers of commerce when they're having trainings and workshops. Get in when organizations like myself hold workshops every quarter so that you can get the information that you need. Google research. There's so much, just unlimited amounts of information available. People are podcasting. So there's honestly no excuse to not know. Now, maybe if you need better understanding, 
your accountant and service provider can definitely help you with that. And so I say, do your research as a business owner, as an organizational leader. Now for financial stability, I would say with that, get you an accountant. Get an accountant, hire one. A lot of times organizations, both for profit, especially small business owners, corporations understand this. That's why they are as big as they are because they have the right resources working with them. But small business owners and oftentimes nonprofit organizations, which have limited resources, often say, I can't afford to hire someone. Well, I would challenge and say, you can't afford not to because there's just things that you don't have the expertise to know how to do. And you need to have your accountant as one of those major resources that you find the money if you don't find the money to pay for anything else to make sure that you have an accountant with you. We saw that during COVID with the crisis. And it's really prevalent in our community. We're African-American business owners. Only 12% of minority-owned business owners qualify for the PPP. Yeah, well, hang on one second. Before you get into that, you diving into my next question. But before okay. you go there, though, I just want to kind of highlight and underscore the point about the ultimate responsibility being the business owner or the person. The buck actually stops with you. With the resources that you have, one, you want to get them because you don't know what you don't know. They might have expertise that you don't know about. The other part is that you still have to make the ultimate decisions and be responsible to look over and keep watch over your stuff because catastrophic can happen. It comes to mind a an extreme situation. I was listening to another podcast, I Earn Your Leisure, shout out to Earn Your Leisure podcast. And Fat Joe, the rapper, was on there recently talking about how he had to do jail time because his accountant had stiffed him for, I don't know, $4 million or something like that. And the bills, his mortgages, his car, all the expenses that he had that he had entrusted with the accountant to do, the accountant didn't do it. He was taking the money and doing it. And so the IRS, like you said, they ain't coming for the accountant. They came with Fat Joe saying, hey, bro, we need that bread. And he didn't have it at the moment, so he had to go to jail. Came out, he ended up getting it all paid back and got his restitution and all that kind of stuff, but he had to go to jail for it because even though he had brought on this professional help, he didn't necessarily keep a close watch on it to make sure and, you know, trust but verify. Didn't verify some things. I mean, so that is really, really key that even if you do bring on these resources, ultimately still, you are the one that is responsible. So it's great to get the knowledge, but it's also equally important to make sure that you are keeping up and verifying that the service provision that you're looking for with bringing on these professionals, that they are carrying that out so you don't end up in a worst case scenario situation. Yes. In fact, they're your employee. Even though they're contracted, they're providing you with a service, they work for you. And so you need to follow up on what your employee is doing. You need to sign your own checks. And this is the mindset. Oh my God, I just hate numbers. It just stresses me out. I just want to put it in your lap and you take it over. No, not everybody operates with integrity that is in my field. That's really sad to say, <laughs> but it's mm, just the reality. 
And some people bank on the fact that you're ignorant, the fact that you don't know. And so you want to make sure you're signing all of your checks. We do things in a very automated way. We like to pay things online. Well, just pay it online or put it on a credit card. Or I would beg to say do business a little bit more old school, especially if you've got someone that's managing your money. If they're cutting checks, they're paying the bills, sign your checks so that you can see what money is going out. Sign your own tax return. Look at it. Make sure that it's making sense to you based on the reporting and the information that you are getting. If you're a larger brand like Fat Joe was, get audited. Get that individual work, that accountant's work audited so that if there is something that is not done with integrity and money is being embezzled and moved around in a way that is not legal, the auditor can uncover that information. So you got to put things in place to protect yourself, which is why gaining information is so Mm -hmm. critical. So gaining information being critical, as you've just laid out, coupled with the fact that when you are in business, when you have anything to do with money, (laughs) accountability and responsibility, you have some responsibility to its oversight. No matter how little or how much, you got some, though. So know that this ain't going to be something you just kind of, excuse me, piss in the wind. You're going to have to pay some attention to it because ultimately you're responsible for it, is what it sounds like you're saying. Exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you for I want to make sure the listeners understood that the moral of the story is, is that whatever area you're in, whatever your level, high level, low level, mid level, making a lot, making a little, just getting started, well established, this money piece, you're going to have to get your hands involved. His hands on as a contact sport. You have to be involved in some shape, form or fashion, signing those checks. So you're eyeballing what's going on, gives you at least a tacit understanding of what's going on. And chances are you will catch something that seems a little bit fishy because your eyes are on it. Yeah, and I would recommend to for business owners, because hearing that (laughs) may leave a person like, you know what, I'll handle this myself. And I strongly discourage that mindset only, as I said before, there are just things for how it needs to be accounted that you just, if you're not an accountant, you won't have that expertise and knowledge. Some of the base things, if you're smaller, you can definitely pay your own invoices and manage your own billing. But how things are accounted for. You need someone looking at that because you don't want to misrepresent your bottom line profitability. It may cause you to overpay in taxes or underpay. So you want to make sure that someone's looking at that and just making sure things are accounted for well. But I would also say when you're looking for a service provider, take them through the interview process. And then ask for references. Find other people that you can call, that you can ask about the services that they provide just to get that comfort level that this person does what they do well. And it keeps you at a less of a risk of anything negative happening working with the service provider because you need the help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the more you grow, you continue to need it as well. You will definitely need it. Yeah. So that's excellent stuff. Good insight 
And you're sharing a lot. I only have a couple more questions for you and I'll let you go. I don't want to monopolize all of your day today. But you had started to talk about the PPP and the disproportionate lower numbers of African-American businesses that even qualified for it. And there have been a number of financial relief and or stimulus packages passed by the federal government throughout this pandemic. How successful or helpful have they been to the citizenry and businesses that you've been in contact with or even have as clients? And you can even expound upon those differences in demographics and the impact of said stimulus packages. Well, the packages have been extremely helpful to business owners that have been able to qualify for the aid and the relief. And I'm of the elk, and I've said this a lot yet last year, that preparation is the remedy for crisis. Uh, Say it again. Preparation is the remedy for crisis. Uh. So if you're prepared, a crisis just isn't as much of a crisis for you. And so what made things so much of a crisis last year whether it was workers who had to be laid off and our state unemployment systems weren't broken (laughs) and ineffective, they were not prepared for it, as well as small business owners who did not have their financial paperwork in order and up to date. And that was really the difference maker of who could qualify and who didn't. And so I was sharing that 12% of minority businesses were the only businesses that could qualify for the PPP and African-American business owners, only 1%. So out of 100% of African-American business owners, we're going from, I don't know, barbers to manufacturers to service providers to product producers, only 1%? of that entire 100% was eligible for the PPP? And that's a national statistic. Yes, sir. Wow. 1%. And so as you can see, mm-hmm. there is a huge disproportionate yeah, disparity knowledge about mm-hmm. financial management in the African-American mm. and minority community because only 12% of all minorities even mm-hmm. qualify. That includes Asians, Hispanics, other people of color, women. Really? Yes. 12%. So a full 88% on that 12 tip of all minorities and 99% of African-American businesses weren't able to qualify for the relief that was provided. Yeah. Of those who applied. Yes, sir. Wow. Now, was there a central common theme or one or two based on this, this and this? Or was it across a mixture of reasons why? Or did it boil down to two or three basic fundamentals that each of those 88 percent, 99 percent that did not qualify have in common that helped them to not qualify or caused them to be ineligible for the relief? Yeah. I mean, the commonality, because it didn't require a lot of documentation and support to be able to apply Mm -hmm. for it. So it was a low threshold of entry. It was. Okay. But some major things for the PPP, that was specifically, of course, to provide aid for your payroll, for your employees, so that you didn't have to lay off staff 
And so it required you to be able to provide payroll reports for a year. And those that had employees, 88% and 99% couldn't provide that documentation? Exactly. It was not up to date. Didn't have it together. Sometimes just from the clientele that I'm privileged to serve, Mm -hmm. there isn't clarity about how to even classify your employees properly. And so you needed to provide information and you weren't even paying your employees the right way. They weren't classified correctly. So that could count business owners out for other aid, the idle loan, which is a small business loan, economic injury disaster loan. So it was a loan established for this specific crisis. You are required to provide what you would provide for any other small business loan. So you needed financial statements, a profit and loss statement, a balance sheet, cash flow. You needed business credit, just those basic things that any business owner would need to provide to qualify for a loan. And unfortunately, I see it all the time. Business owners don't have that. They don't even know what it is. Let me jump in here. As business <laughs> owners, you are McMurray Financial Services. As business, right. I have to McMurray International business owner as well. And I have made some missteps in my <laughs> entrepreneurial journey as well. <laughs> and, uh, but I think one of the things that, you know, in defense of business owners, because you have so much, I guess, vision and creativity in mm-hmm. wanting to do the product and or service that you say, hey, I am a this, I'm an excellent technician in XYZ, let me mm-hmm. launch my business. Or I'm a great creator of this, let me go ahead and launch my business. And so you are on the creative side so tough that this financial piece sometimes can fall through the cracks because you're just so excited and amped and determined and focused on getting the business itself started that these other very necessary requisite infrastructure pieces, financially wise, kind of can fall by the wayside. So as people are getting into business and I want to own my own, I want to have financial and time freedom and da-da-da-da-da-da, as they are doing that, chasing the dream, what are some of the things that you would recommend people do just to make sure that this financial piece doesn't get left on the side Because if something happens, opportunities can be missed by neglecting it. So what are some of the things that one can kind of couple with the vision and the go-getterness and even having the guts to step out there as an entrepreneur on your own to go ahead and do it and hang your shingle? What kind of things can they do to also keep that financial stuff at the forefront as well? Yes. Before I answer that question, I want to just say that That jumping out there and going for the gusto and not always having our ducks in the row financially is not just a black and brown problem. Mm -hmm. I've seen it across the board. Mm -hmm. Transcends race, color, creed. Transcends race, color, creed. We see it more so in the black and brown community. And I want to speak to why that is and then answer your question. And There's just the systematic history that we're contending with in our country as we speak of redlining and racism, Jim Crow, segregation, oppressive measures, policies. Oppressive measures, exactly. I got you. So there's a lack of trust 
mm-hmm. from black and brown communities with financial institutions and professional accountants and and people of that nature. It's like, okay, so I got my money. I'll handle my money. I'm good because there's just a lack of trust in our systems in this nation. Which has merit based on that historical legacy that you're talking about. Exactly. And so that's a huge reason why and information because of those systems were not brought into those communities. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to catch up with information and learn okay, how do the systems work and what do I need to have in place and what should I have? No one told me this before. Gotcha. We've never even heard of this. Yeah. It's a new frontier for us in many respects because we were forcefully locked out. Exactly. And now we're just now gaining access. So it takes a little bit of time for that learning curve to know all of what there is here that it entails because you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why we see it more and that it's so disproportionately seen between non-whites and white community. Yeah. It hasn't happened in a vacuum. There is some history that explains this that is tangential to it. Exactly. Exactly. Great point. So then what can we do? I'm not singling us out. I'm on a mm-hmm. mission to get us mm-hmm. educated. To level that playing field. To level the playing field. Yeah. But we are working with some things that have been in place for the history of this nation. And so we're trying to catch up here. And so what do you do as a business owner to better position yourself so the next time a crisis hits, whether it's a worldwide crisis or just a personal crisis for your business, And I would say first start with getting your bookkeeping together. When you say bookkeeping, what do you mean by bookkeeping? What exactly is that? Bookkeeping, it's the foundational financial management pieces that everything else builds upon. And so it's the everyday transactions, financial transactions for your business. So first invoicing your clients or your customer. So that piece of getting your money through the door, you've got to have invoice or have a receipt, getting your financial records in order so that you can get paid. (laughs) Documentation of transactions. Exactly. Whether you're invoicing to get money through the door or you're paying vendors and your bills to cover the expenses and the costs to do business. So those everyday transactions, putting your money in a bank account that's specifically just for your business. And so dealing and setting yourself up so that your everyday transactions are traceable and you're able to have the necessary records to produce what's needed, whether it's financial statements, whether it's tax records, paying all of your taxes, payroll taxes, sales tax, your income tax as a business, paying those things and paying them on time. Paper trail and documentation. All the time. (laughs) I know we're electronic, but in the world of accounting, you've got to have the actual record. 
that's a learned practice for those of us who weren't mathematicians or didn't have Miss <laughs> V as our math teacher. That's something that you have to learn to put into your toolbox of skill sets, particularly from business. But that's good stuff. Yes, yes. So building those foundational records because you've heard the saying garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have it from the base, there's nothing you can produce that it won't come out. You just won't have it on the other side. And so getting some software, don't be afraid of getting some software, engaging QuickBooks for software or zero, and it's spelled with an X, X-E-R-O, accounting, just some online software. They charge you anywhere from 25 to 70 bucks a month for it. And getting things where it's tracked and you can get reports out of those software that you can utilize to go to the bank and get a loan or to send in to get aid. So tracking it because the box of receipts just won't work for anybody. So the box of receipts, keeping the money in your mattress or in the drawer yeah. in that shoe box, <laughs> uh, letting your man, you know, you got to come hook just let me hit your hand with, you know what I'm saying? A quick 200. Exactly. You can't really do that. You need to tighten that up some. Exactly. Because there's okay. no records. There's nothing mm. that can be tracked. Gotcha. And if people don't want to do business with you from integrity. Uh, I don't want anybody to be able to track it and find somebody else to do business with because you have to have the records necessary so that your business is covered and safe. Some people that just they doing it, things under the table. You don't yeah. want to be one of those. <laughs> it, it sounds like then, I guess you can suffice it to say that you can maintain your hustler mentality. You just have to have a corporate functionality. Yeah. Maintain your hustle mentality legally. Okay. <laughs> Do gotcha. it legal and above the board way. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And that's where a bookkeeper and an accountant can help you set up systems. You need systems in place. And some people are free spirit, artsy, they're creative. It's with a vibe or a feeling. And that's wonderful. Get you someone who's systematic to help you though. Set things up, get it in motion, and you can continue to vibe. Bob and weave. Do your thing. But you do have your systems in place as well. So if things ever hit, and that vibe and we've got to get interrupted because there's a crisis. You have uh, what you need. <laughs> got it. Got it. Excellent. Excellent. This has been a great show, Cheryl. Thanks so much for all the gems you've dropped on us, the encouragement you've given us to tighten up our financial peace. You really appreciate your insights and you sharing them with us today. Any last or parting words you want to share with our listeners or leave with them? Yeah, you can do this. I would say it starts first with behavior. So much of how money is managed, whether it's personally or whether it's professionally with your business, it starts with behavior. And so if you want to tighten up your money, your money is telling you, I spend too much. Your money is telling you, we're a mess. Your money is telling you, we don't have enough. Whatever your money is communicating to you, it starts with behavior. And so if what you're doing is not working for you, it's not giving you the story, it's not communicating with you what you want to see, then you've got to change your behavior. You're going to have to do something differently 
And so get with someone that can tell you, hey, here are some things that you can do different to get different results because insanity is doing the same thing, but expecting different results. And we don't want anybody out here to be operating in insanity. You can do this. (laughs) You just need to get with someone, find out what needs to change and start putting it into practice. 21 days of doing something creates a new habit. And so don't quit on yourself and you can make this happen. You can change your outcome. With that mic drop, you all, (laughs) that's all she wrote, literally and figuratively. So thanks so much for listening in today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru podcast. Also be on the lookout for the Morning Inspiration vlog, which are inspirational words of encouragement and insights that are listed on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need assistance with, be it personal, organizational, relational, or business-wise, and would like a free 15-minute consultation or discovery session, feel free to reach out to me at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com with a brief description of your issue. Well, my friends, that's all we have for today. Thanks so much for your listenership and viewership. Until next time, blessing and increase to you. From the Communication Guru, bars. Ha-ha!